Adam. Good morning. My name is uh, Lad Lesh, and I have the uh, privilege of serving uh, as a uh, ruling elder here. And y'all, I'm feeling old lately. Um, it's not because of my age. I'm still very young. Um, but uh, it's because it's of all the, the wonderful new people. I mean, I am an old timer. April and I have been here since 2009. Uh, you, you, you and I, Blair, we are old timers. I mean, y'all, y'all new folks do not remember setting up week after week at Sun Valley High School for like a hundred years. And when you got on setup team, you couldn't get off. I, I tried to get off and I went to Tim Brown and he's like, I'm giving you your own setup team, more responsibility. Hooray. Um, and so, um, we basically had to have a kid every year just for me to get a break um, from setup. But you, you guys just, uh, you guys are a blessing. It's wonderful to see how God is blessing this congregation and to see folks coming in this door. And uh, we're very grateful for that and give praise to God. And so today, uh, let's open our passage to uh, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 11. I want to I set the table uh, once again. It's been a week. We've been out of this passage. Uh, Adam did uh, a, a wonderful uh, message last week, kind of giving uh, some of the, the history of this passage, what this passage looks back to. But it's very important that we understand what it's looking back to so that we can digest it and, and really absorb it today in our hearts. Um, we, we know that in the Old Testament, God chose Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And he made a covenant promise with Abraham. And it says that Abraham believed in the promise and that it was, you, you, you can take that off for just a minute. Uh, it, it says he, he believed in the promise. It says he believed in the promise and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people and I'm going to give you a place of rest. I'm going to give you the promised land. And we know it took a journey through God's sovereignty, didn't it? Egypt first. Being in captivity in Egypt. And God was faithful. He kept his promise. And what did he do? He brought the Egyptians out like Adam went over last week. And what happened? Ten plagues. Uh, it, the, the power of God shone so mightily against Pharaoh and Pharaoh was humbled and then they crossed over on dry ground and one of the greatest acts of power ever witnessed. And the Israelites witnessed this. And then they got into the wilderness and they were headed towards the promised land, towards this great promised rest that God had for them. And it, in one of the most tragic Stories of scripture, which you can read about in Numbers 13 and 14, what does it say? Israel hardened their hearts. First, they made a golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the commandments of God. They made a golden calf. Then they hardened their hearts yet again, and they did so right on the edge of this promised land. Literally on the edge. What does it say? They sent spies into the land, and the spies came back with an evil report, all but two. They said, we can't go in. We are terrified. We are afraid. Let's get out of here. Hey, let's stone Moses. Let's stone Caleb, Joshua, and we're going back to Egypt. What, what a, I, I mean, and, and God is there, and he says, how many signs for this sinful hardened 
people. Stand back, Moses. I am going to pour down my wrath on them. And Moses said, but your promise, your promise. And God relented because he always was going to. And it says that those people, all but two, and anyone uh, over the age of 20 years old, did not enter God's promise. They were not to enter. They were right on the edge. And God said, no, you are not entering because of your hardness, because of your deceitfulness of sin. Now, fast forward to today, to to the passage today, and, and this passage is written for us. It's written for the church. It's written for those in these walls. It's written for everyone, but it's specifically written to us in the church, those that profess Christ, those that sit in the chairs and the pews and who claim Christ, and we also are headed somewhere, aren't we? We're headed to a great promised rest, aren't we? And yet, as we'll see today, this great promise for us is based on belief in Christ, in the promises of God. So I want you to put yourself in this passage today. It's for us. Let's read. Uh, let's read Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Please stand while we, we uh, read the Word of God. Most important part of this message. Here it is. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, justice to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the, that rest. As he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage it says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day saying today through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, this passage talks of a great promise. A promise of entering into God's rest. So let's talk about rest for a moment. Do you all feel rested this morning? How many of you had to drown yourselves in caffeine this morning just to get up, just admit it? Um, I confess I haven't been rested in about 20 years. So it says uh, a third of our life, 26 years on average, is spent sleeping. 26 years. Uh, a survey came out that 40% of Americans sleep less than six hours a night. I, I need eight hours of sleep, y'all, and I still look like this. So our bodies require rest or we die. But while there is physical rest lacking, we also know there is great spiritual unrest all around us. There is restlessness everywhere. 
2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 gives us a good insight into what this spiritual unrest looks like. Look at this list. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, keeps going, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. It's no mistake, brothers and sisters, that as America and really the world pursues pleasure over everything else, we have never been more miserable, more unrestful. It's in the air. And yet it wasn't always this way. Our passage today points back, all the way back to Genesis, in fact, when God created the universe and our earth in six days, and then it says he rested on the seventh day. Look at Hebrews 4.4. says this, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. It says God rested. Why, why did God rest? Was he tired after making 400 billion trillion stars? Was he drained after pouring all his creativity into creating a woman? Uh, The greatest mystery and complexity that men still haven't figured out to this day? Yes, that's finally it. He was exhausted after that. No, no, God wasn't tired. God is infinite in power. He's never tired, he's never worn out, he's never exhausted, his energy is unlimited and boundless. And through the power of his words, he spoke everything around us into existence and he wasn't tired after it. He was not tired and yet he rested. Why? Well, it's because our great and marvelous God is both the creator and the consummator. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the great I am, and when he created all the universe and everything in it, he was and is the ultimate enjoyer of his creation. Have have we ever thought about all the places that we will never see, from the deepest parts of the ocean to all of the galaxies that I wish I could explore? We will never see them. Mankind has barely scratched the surface of any of this, and yet God is there And he is the ultimate enjoyer of his creation. My wife is convinced that the Loch Ness Monster is real. And she wants to go to Scotland and ignore all of the wonderful Presbyterian history to go find Nessie. Probably to bring her back for our ecosystem. Let me tell you, if the Loch Ness Monster is out there, God is delighting in it. It's not, so he's not. But you get the point. God is delighting in his creation. And so, what did he do when he looked upon the created order and how the entire universe magnifies his name? He said, it is good. And then, he rested. He rested in a rest that would last forever. Yes, he's sovereignly ruling over his creation, but it is from a place of heavenly rest a place of complete security. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands. Uh, He looks upon the evil kings of earth and it says he laughs. But what rest God established at the beginning was but a precursor to what was to come. Before he rested, he made us. 
Male and female, he made us. And he gave us a blueprint for how we are to live. What was it? Six days, we are to work. And on the seventh day, we were to model after God himself this rest. And Adam and his descendants actually needed it because unlike God, we do get tired. We do get worn out. We get exhausted. And here was God giving us this gracious gift of rest. A day to put aside our labors and to rest. You know how rest is best done after a hard week's work? You know, and then you get to enjoy the rest. And, and God gave us this in His gracious uh, providence. One of the, the uh, sadnesses of modern life is a lot of us are in front of a computer screen all day. And so we get mentally worn out, but we don't get physically exhausted. Now, I'm thankful that we don't have to you know, be working every second to, to eat, but God created us to work, and then he created us to rest, and it was modeled after himself. But then, as we know, we come to the great fall of mankind. And we know the first Adam failed to obey and trust in God. He failed to obey and his unbelief overtook him. He chose the path of death. And with his disobedience, what do we get? Weeds, thorns, thistles. No longer was work a pleasure, it became a toil. Mankind had fallen and with it came weariness, trials, enormous, enormous suffering. That even when we try to rest... It's often the tossing and turning, both physically and of our soul. Now, my friends, the good news is that God did not give up on mankind when Adam disobeyed. In fact, God had a plan and a promise. He was going to send a great redeemer for his people. He first chose Abraham to be his adopted son and the father of his people. He chose Isaac and Jacob, and he gave them the good news that by faith... They could be saved through a future redeemer who would come from their seed. And God said, listen, I am promising you an earthly place of rest, a land flowing of milk and honey where it is safe from your enemies. But you must trust me. You must trust in my word. You must believe upon me. And, and what did the people of the promise do? Well, we, we talked about it earlier. The Israelites, right on the edge, geographically on the edge of the promised land, they hardened their hearts. They even tried to rectify their mistake. When, when they sent in those spies and they came back, they said, we're like grasshoppers. They were terrified of man. They said, we got to get out of here. Then they realized their mistake. They probably shouldn't have, you know, done the whole stoning Moses thing. And they realized their mistake. And then they tried to rectify it with their man-made efforts. They tried to go into the promised land on their own without God. And it didn't go well. God sent the Amalekites to drive them back with a sword. And he said, you will not enter your hardness of hearts. You failed to trust me. You did not believe I have had mercy upon mercy upon mercy and your hardness of hearts have cost you the great rest. But God did not stop there. Praise be to God, that was not the end of the story. 
You see, the rest we are talking about in Hebrews 4 isn't about getting a good night's sleep. It isn't even about the cessation of labors that we experience once a week on the Sabbath. It isn't even about the promised land of Canaan. Those were all pointers to a much greater rest to come. Now look at our passage. Hebrews 4, 8 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. You see, Joshua entered the promised land of Canaan. He was one of the faithful people of God. And he brought the people in who had not rebelled into the land. But it wasn't the last. Eventually, Israel would harden its hearts once again. God would give them over to the Assyrians and Babylonians in judgment. Now, we see those who clung by faith. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the land... But, and, and they remained faithful to God, longing for a future day of redemption. But the land of Canaan, the promised land, was not the ultimate rest. Joshua couldn't provide that. It had to be another Joshua, a greater Joshua. Namely, it had to be Jesus Christ. And we see in Scripture that before the foundation of the world, God had this plan to call a people unto Himself. If you wanted to sum up the whole of scriptures, you could say this. It's the promised plan of God. God had a plan to call a people unto himself. He called Abraham and made a covenant that would extend into all eternity. That he would call a people to him and they would be his children. And those whom he called would come to him by faith in the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to live a life of perfect obedience. On this very earth, with all its trials, with all its toils, Jesus experienced all of that. It even says in Hebrews 4, He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because He was was tempted just like we are today. He experienced heartaches, burdens, the weary life, and He took our sin, the sin of His children, upon Him to the grave and rose from the dead in victory. What did he say? The cry on the cross, it is finished. We must never, never diminish the cost that was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross and on earth. This is God's Son condescending to us in the most glorious act of grace and mercy. And what did Jesus do when he arose? He entered into his Father's rest. For God's rest is his original purpose in creation. But hear this, the original purpose in creation but the, and the ultimate purpose in redemption. The ultimate purpose in redemption. And, and it, what day did Jesus rise again from the dead? It's the first day. What day are we here? The very day that we are now here is the first day. We meet in celebration and worship for what God did for us. So what is this great rest that is promised for those who believe? Young folks here today. I'm under 40, so I'm still in that group. I know all your life is before you. 
I know that excitement of wanting to get married, wanting to start a family, wanting to go out and conquer the world. And that's all good and wonderful things. And God created us for all of that. He created us to enjoy Him through His creation. And yet, the older I get, the more you see life play out and you experience the trials of life, the temptations of sin, day after day, and you see all the suffering in this world, and this all ends in death. Your heart cries out, is this all there is? Is there nothing more? This can't be it. We can't just live and die. What else is there for my soul? So you're Jeff Bezos. It ends in the grave. What, what happens when you get cancer? What happens when you lose your job? What happens if you can't have kids? What happens when you're being persecuted and you see war and suffering abound? Is this it? Solomon, the king of Israel, had hundreds of wives, which I wouldn't recommend. He had riches abounding. He had everything And what was his cry in Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanity. It's all vanity. Is this life all there is? No, it is not. Our God promises there is a great rest coming. The great rest for the children of God is this. It's the heavenly homeland. The eternal city. A place of eternal rest from all our weary small efforts It's a place of complete and total peace and joy. Revelation 21, it is the dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain, for the former things have passed away. That is the great rest promised. And we as Christians are not just focused on the here and now. We first look back to the cross. We look back to Jesus Christ. We lay hold of the promises of God that in Jesus we can find forgiveness of our sins. Rest here and now from our weary souls. That in Christ alone we can find salvation. But after we look back, we look ahead We press ahead. We run the race looking not to what lies behind us, but what lies ahead in our future. That this isn't all there is. That what lies ahead is the great rest promised by God for all eternity. Never again to be tempted by our flesh. Never again wooed by the rust of the world. Never again the devil able to access us. And forevermore being in the throne room of God in perfect peace and happiness. This is glorious. It's a glorious promise. But this promise rest is not available to all people. The invitation is to all people. This invitation today. But there is a great dividing line, my friends, in Scripture between those who have laid hold of the promises of God and those that have not. It's abundantly clear in Scripture. There are only two roads. One leads to eternal rest with God forever. And the other leads to eternal damnation under the holy righteous wrath of God where there's no hope, no peace, no joy. The world will tell us that mankind's greatest existential threat is climate change or uncontrolled spending or China or that we're being governed by morons. That one's true. But none of these 
are man's greatest problem. Our greatest problem, friends, is the holy righteous wrath of God who cannot and will not ever have sin in his presence. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So I ask again, how is one to have this great rest? Only, and I mean only, through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ that only in him can we have forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. That when we have the blood of Jesus covering us, we're declared righteous in the sight of God. We do not get the promised rest through our works. We only get the promised rest through trusting in the works of Jesus Christ. So where Adam worked six days and rested on the seventh, we as Christians rest in the promises of Christ on the first day, and then we get to work. Jesus Christ changes everything. No longer do we labor in vain, but Jesus says to me, Come all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, both here and now, and the rest to come. But it is only for those who believe upon the word of God and lay hold of Christ. What it means, brothers and sisters, is that we are to stake our flag upon the promises of God and believe in our hearts that his word is truth. Because it is. I will build my life upon it. I will build my house upon the rock. I am willing to give up everything. My reputation my family, my job, my very life on the truth that Jesus Christ is my only hope of salvation. This is life and death we're talking about here. And here's the great hope. Your faith in Christ makes future realities yours right here and now. And the great cry of the Christian is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can can, I mean, God, God can use even faith as small as a mustard seed to move mountains. Help our unbelief, Lord. Give me faith. Help me to trust in you. This passage, like many of our passages we've covered in Hebrews, where we've heard the alarm sound, it also comes with a, a warning. I'm nearing my close, but... This, this warning is important. We can't just gloss over that. This warning is for everyone who hears this word, but it's to the believer. It's to the believer. Look what it says in Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. I, I thought we weren't supposed to fear. Isaiah 41.10, anyone? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. Fear not. thought we weren't supposed to fear. Our passage says today to fear. Fear what? What are we to fear? Let me ask you something. Are we never to fear anything? Do you want your children not to fear anything? Several years ago, a stranger came to my door. And uh, I won't name the kid that answered the door, but uh, he's named after the promised land, so that's fitting. Um, and so uh, he answered, he, he, the stranger comes to the door, uh, my child answers and he says, is your father at home? You know, typical thing. And uh, he's like, no, daddy's not at home. And so the, guy, the, the stranger says, well, is your mother at home? And he said, yes, she's home, but she's taking a bath. And I mean, there's just no fear of strangers, none at all. Another time, April's desperately trying to find the twins, and she's searching all over the house. She looks out the window, and they are playing in a parked convertible with the top down, jumping up and down on the front seat, right beside a busy road. How they got there, we don't know. We don't know to this day. You guys won't tell us. There's no fear. There was no fear. Kids come out as little terrorists to their parents. They're, they're just constantly sticking things in outlets and swallowing things. What did you eat? I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, there's no fear. We want them to fear. What do we want them to fear? The right things. We don't want them in bed, terrified, under a blanket, huddling anxiously, can't get out of bed. No, we don't want that fear. We want them to fear the right things. What did the people of Israel fear? People of Israel feared Man, they feared giants. They feared the wrong thing. We want our children to fear certain things. We want to fear certain things. Why do we want our children to fear? Because we love and care for them. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm. My friends, we know the Israelites feared the wrong thing. They were, their fear was misplaced. They were afraid of men when they should have been afraid of not trusting in the word of God. The Bible says to fear. What are you to fear? Unbelief. Faithlessness. Not trusting upon God in His Word. Fear not trusting upon the finished work of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. A healthy Christian life is aware of the dangers of unbelief and the peril makes us cling to the promises of God. Should we fear death? No. Should we fear circumstances? No. Should we fear what people think of us? No. We are only to fear being outside the fold of Jesus Why? Because He loves us and knows there is no other name upon which we are to be saved but Him. Peter said this, Lord, where are we to go? There is no one else. You hold the, the answer to eternal life. And you know what? When we're united to Christ by faith in Him, get this tension, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear in Christ who keeps his promises never to leave or forsake us. That we can rest in him now and for all eternity. 
so that as Christians we walk by faith and we rest in God, fearing nothing but being away from Him. Oh, the dangers of being outside of the safety and security of Christ. May it never be. So in closing, our passage today ends with this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. One of the marks of the truth of true faith is an obedience to God's word. Now, our obedience does not save us. It can't. It's flawed. It's marred. But genuine faith strives to obey God's word. We take God at his word, believing that God does not flippantly and half-heartedly impart his truth to us. When God speaks, we should listen. When God imparts warnings like he's done today, we ought to pay attention. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, they weren't suggestions. Our lives are to be one of faithful obedience to the God we love who first loved us. We aren't called as Christians to spiritually speaking, sit on the couch, eating potato chips, binge watching Netflix, talking spiritually here, although it's not a good habit in general, but our lives are to be one of faithful obedience, striving for this. As Christians, though, we rest in Christ and then we work from that position of rest. Don't miss that. We rest in the Lord and then work. We must work out, not for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling, striving against the world, the flesh and the devil, being zealous, I love that word, for the things of God. That's, that's what striving means in Scripture, zealous. Telling others about the great hope that is in us. Tell people about the hope. How will they hear the gospel? Time is short. Friends, does your life, brothers and sisters, show evidence of faith in God's word? Or does your life show triteness to the things of God? Are you dependent on Christ or are you dependent on your own feeble efforts? Would someone look at your life and see a striving servant? Look, we can't do this alone. Hebrews 3 says, exhort one another. We're here today, iron sharpening iron. We're here today to encourage one another in faith. To say, press on for the prize. To love one another well. And to have love for one another so that we care about not just their physical needs, but also their spiritual and, and, when, when, and sometimes that means saying hard stuff to folks. And it's uncomfortable and it's not good. And sometimes it means getting it. I've had people come to me before with some hard things. It's the body of Christ. It's iron sharpening iron. We can't do this alone. Praise God that we're here for one another. Let us as a church be full of hope and joy looking with great anticipation to the future promises. And the good news is this. Truly, I'm closing. And the good news is this. This promise is still available today. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. The promise is is for you today. So if you're in Christ, 
Press on towards that prize. Press on to the great prize that awaits and strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to live godly, pleasing lives and feast on His Word every day. And if you are outside Christ, well, the promise of eternal rest can be yours today. Take hold of the promise by faith in Christ. Do not delay. Do not harden your hearts. Believe upon the Word of God today. Someday, history will come to an end. And everyone outside of Christ will be cast out forever into the lake of fire. But everyone who has believed in the promises of God, namely His Son, Jesus Christ, will see faith made sight. And Jesus is coming again. And what will He bring? The great promised rest. And we will dwell in the house of God forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, what grace and mercy you have shown your people to call a people to your name. To Father, prick our hearts with your Holy Spirit and call us to you by faith in your Son. What a great, merciful, wonderful God you are. And I pray that you would Strengthen our faith that, Lord, in times of weakness, we would remember this passage and cling to you. And, Father, we know that you hold fast your children, and for that we are so grateful. Father, help us to strive after you. Help us to be a people of God willing to share the hope with others. For, Lord, we know that someday you're coming again. And for that, we give you all praise. In Christ's name, amen.